This podcast was made in Redfern, a place of community, struggle, activism and innovation. It was made on Gadigal land. Wax Lyrical pays respect to Elders past and present. Welcome to Wax Lyrical, where you can say poo and piss if you want to. Where dreams come true. Where green is blue. Boy is girl. Straight is curl. And the nana unfurl. Today, we take an excursion into the sleeping world of Lucy's brain, which happens to be humming with vibrant life. These dreams contain wondrous characters impossible landscapes, and much to touch and smell and hear. There's also dark and nasty folk, devils and death and stabby goats. They go about their creepy business, often within Lucy's body. Things get spooky when reality and dreams blend together. Artists sometimes use dreams as inspiration for their work. Salvador Dali is one. In his book, 50 Secrets of Magic Craftsmanship, he explains a process called slumber with a key. Here it is. You must seat yourself in a bony armchair, preferably of Spanish style, with your head tilted back and resting on the stretched leather back. Your two hands must hang beyond the arms of the chair, to which your own must be soldered in a supineness of complete relaxation. In this posture, you must hold a heavy key which you will keep suspended, delicately pressed between the extremities of the thumb and forefinger of your left hand. Under the key, you will previously have placed a plate upside down on the floor. The moment the key drops from your fingers, you may be sure that the noise of its fall on the upside down plate will awaken you. This brief nap apparently contains often fast-paced, extreme and vivid visions, ripe for surreal style painting. Don't touch anything. like game show and you have to choose a colour and a material to suit the person and they told me that I was a pale purple palleted saucer 
flying into a violent orange volcanic ash explosion. The pale purple palleted saucer flying into a violent orange volcanic ash explosion is Lucy, describing a game show in one of her vivid dreams. She joined me to share some of her tales and experiences as she dabbled and dove deep into the world of dreams. googling how to lucid dream one day it was more like it just happened I got really obsessed with them I've tried to backtrack to where it first began and I actually think it was when I broke my knee and I was on lots of oxycontin for like months on end and that was kind of the first time that like I don't know there would be little fairies in the room and like I wouldn't remember everything whether it was day or nighttime or if I was sleeping or not and then I got better, I stopped taking Oxycontin and stuff, but I think from then on, so that was when I was 19, my dreams were just like otherworldly. That's when I first started a dream diary, but it was more visual, it was like all drawings and stuff. And that's when I met this really special toucan, but um, we occurred a lot in my dreams. He was like, size of like a dinosaur and the first time I met him well I didn't meet him I saw him from afar but I didn't approach him because it was quite scary I had drawn it and I kind of thought about it all day I didn't have any visitors so I was just like what else was I going to be thinking about and I saw him again and I was like I was kind of aware I was like oh my god it actually worked I am seeing him again and then I wasn't sure if I was awake or not it was a weird feeling this time I was like I'm just gonna go for it you know when you approach a horse and you kind of have to be like, hey, hey, and you like put your hand out and they come and they like sniff you a little bit. The toucan did that to me and then I like kind of had his like beak there. I think it was a he. And I would just kind of like really gently stroke his um, beak. And then he kind of put his head down a little bit and I got to like go on top. And I was on his head and I was like, this is unbelievable. And then we just kind of went like a walk he didn't really want to like push boundaries either I don't think <laughs> so we just like walked in the jungle for a bit but then we got super close <laughs> like he that toucan saved me in so many different scary times of my dream life
world, my child. Awaken to life, my child. Life is good, you'll see. Come into the world, my child. conscious and I I wouldn't really remember writing it at the time and I would wake up and I would kind of be like oh did I dream last night I don't know and I would check my phone my notes 
and then I would have like sometimes like a thousand words written. I don't know how I developed that pattern. I think I used to wake up and be like, that is such a cool dream, I really, really don't want to forget it. So quickly write down a few words. And then I just got better at that pattern. We were having the Olympics on the rings of Saturn. I remember like I fell off a, we were just doing like hurdles races and I fell off and my legs fell off and I started bleeding peanut butter. There were these massive big bugs the size of trees. They had very big feet and human heads. They were very polite and tried to be quiet when walking around, but their legs were hairy and got caught on everything. They were totally reckless, but very cute. They tucked their antennas behind their ears when they were in the main part of town and tried to look responsible whilst catching public transport. Tra-la-la, I am me, you are you, let's keep strolling. When I had like my first psychotic episode, I was like in the daytime in a taxi um, with my whole family coming back from Blues Fest. Um, and I was like, it was like 10.30 a.m. I was super tired. We'd had a massive week of drinking and staying up late. A very scary devil that used to see regularly in that one minute hypnagogia part before I went to sleep was like suddenly sitting next to me in the taxi. And then I would 
look at him and I could tell he wasn't supposed to be there but he was definitely there suddenly the whole taxi was like full of them and that was like my first sober hallucination and that's obviously when I had to start taking my obsession a bit more seriously and that's when I went to like a whole bunch of doctors and because I then couldn't really unsee a lot of those creatures so like I couldn't drive I couldn't like study I couldn't do a lot of things I would normally do because I was like full on had hallucinations where a lot of those creatures that I couldn't really explain either like people like what are you seeing I was like I could only attempt at drawing them like because they're not humans
so many bad things would happen. I don't know why. If I had complete control, I would let all these like really dark things happen. And a lot of them to do with my brain as well. Damn, there's another big pile of cat poo on the doormat at the entrance to my brain. You want to go in, but it's icky, and there's no doubt you're going to step on the poo. There are things you might not want to stick with you that end up pretty sticky, really stinky. There's a bunch of eyeballs in a test tube. A goat is trying to pick them out with a fork. Kind of like when you're trying to reach the last few pickles from the jar, but your hand doesn't fit. Anyway, I'm at the bottom of the test tube, and it's my eyeball he's picking at. All of the eyeballs are mine. The fork is getting closer and making me flinch, but it doesn't hurt. The goat is just doing experiments. I think I'm being analysed. Uh, there's humans in this one. Really savage humans were like acting like cats and dogs in a pet shop window. It was a pet store, but full of wacky humans, scratching on the cat poles, lots of licks and stuff. They look so dumb. Kind of gruesome. I didn't want to be a part, but also couldn't stop looking. Lots of rolls and biting each other on necks. Gruddy, gruddy stuff. There are train tracks connected to my feet, pulling me down to earth. There are men at the end of the train line loading up carriages with coal. The train tracks run up to my pelvis and through my spine, splitting every vertebrate in its way. The track splits into six different paths at my shoulder blades and then the shoulders get pulled deep into the ground again. My back is totally bent. There are more men loading carriages with coal. It's so heavy now. Sometimes the train tracks wrap around my collarbone and come crashing through my jaw they smash all my teeth out and my mouth fills up with coal. There's so much coal that eventually my eyeballs fall out. I can't watch, but I can hear them roll away. Luckily, I have so many spare eyeballs locked up in storage at the back of my cranium. It's like a gumball machine of eyeballs. Every so often, waves come crushing in and steal them without me knowing. They crush in silence, and when they do, my whole body tingles in this weird foamy warmth. The warmth is comforting, even though I know the waves are stealing those eyeballs away from me.
few of the dreams I have would really focus on sound in a tangible form. So there's one dream I had where the world was silent and sound was only in the form of droplets. So like the whole floors and walls were covered in like water droplets, everything. And the only way you could like absorb sound was if you like licked the water or absorbed it with your skin. So me and my sisters would walk around barefoot everywhere because like then every step you get sound and you could buy like designer sounds, like really expensive bottles of sounds that you would drink and you would get to experience something. And like if I wanted to laugh or like scream or cry or anything, you'd go like underwater and it would just be this like ecstasy of sounds with whoever you went under with. All the sounds you'd missed out on that day or whatever if you hadn't had any water. stress now in a dream <laughs> I completely inflate like and start floating I don't know if that's never spoken to anyone about this but I'll blow up like a balloon and start floating and I get super super high and it's quite like it's cool but it's also really scary because I know if I go high enough I'll eventually pop so I have to really heavily breathe blow the air out and come back down to deflate if I want to stay in one piece. And I reckon that happens like every second night. 
in any situation. And everyone I'm with is like, whoa, like what's happening? And I was like, oh, it's all right, I'll be down in a minute. Like, I, but it really makes me focus on breathing. And I think that would happen even in the daytime now. I think it's actually taught me really good breathing techniques um, because I know it's going a certain way and I know if I keep going, I'm just gonna like, it's gonna end badly, I'll pop essentially. And so I often envision myself when I do really need to breathe that I am floating up again um, in whatever situation I am. And I just have to like close my eyes and like really blow everything out. Um, and eventually I just like calm down. So I guess that's something that has stuck with me even though my dreams are very boring and normal now. I'll often blow up. <laughs> dreams anymore because suddenly I didn't really have anything to draw and I guess there was a part of me that was hoping that I would still have all those crazy dreams um, and I didn't have them and so it was a bit of an identity crisis in a way because I just felt really boring I think it was just like a go-to thing for me to talk about Some of them definitely stick to me, and that toucan, I don't think I've ever even written down on paper, but it's just like so ingrained in me. And often when I was deflating in those stressful times and I would blow myself out, toucan would kind of come and like sweep me up my, off my feet. Because um, when you deflate, you go really fast as well. And so if you think of like a balloon and then it, so that would sometimes happen to me and you'd be falling really fast and kind of thinking back on like everything that had just happened and it was quite overwhelming. Um, it's like massive toucan, I can't really describe how big would just come and like pick you up and you'd be like, oh, thank God. Like a balloon and then a minute. <laughs> Selma Steen. I choose to live in the moment because you never know when the 378 you're waiting for outside Iggy's, having busted around the Bronte Bend, snaked and hooched its way up McPherson Street, wears his foot planted on the pedal, beard parted by a friendly breeze and streaming to each side, might not see you in your camo flares and, instead of slowing down, rushes right past. Only the side mirror catches your right temple, and as you drop like a ten-pin bowling pin, you realise you've been smacked by the hand of God. Helen, from the friendly store, is yelling, Kid, kid! And something about potential. You want to tell her not to worry. It's fine. That the concrete feels as soft as a leather lounge. And if she could just place that sourdough croissant that had flown out of your hand and lay in the gutter, flaking and shiny, into your mouth, 
so you could carry the buttery bite of it to the afterlife, then everything would be okay. Thank you all for listening. Share it with your best friend. Share it with your nonna. Share it with your smallest brother. Share it with your timid neighbor.